I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Elizabeth Passarella is the author of It Was an Ugly Couch Anyway and Other Thoughts on Moving Forward. This is guest hosted by Julie Chavez. Elizabeth is the author also of A Good Apple, which was named one of the best books of 2021 by Real Simple Magazine. Before writing books, Elizabeth was a magazine editor for more than 20 years. Her articles and essays have appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Vogue, Parents, Martha Stewart Weddings, Real Simple, and Southern Living. Elizabeth is originally from Memphis and now lives in Manhattan with her husband and three children. Elizabeth, hi. Hi. It's so good to be with you, Julie. So good to have you here. I'm so happy that you came on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and that I got to be the one to talk to you. I felt so excited to hear about you. The excitement is all mine. This is my second time on this podcast. And listen, obviously, Zibby was sick of me. No, I'm just kidding. It is... um, (laughs) No, she's doing everything. So I'm so delighted that she has delegated and passed the baton. And you are just, yes, you are a ray of sunshine. And I'm so excited to talk to you. So this will be so fun. Thanks, friend. I'm super excited. And yes, uh, she does all the things. So (laughs) it really benefits me in this situation because it just means I get to chew the fat with more people, which is something that might be one of my gifts. So that's really exciting. I love it. (laughs) 
Well, I'm so excited to talk to you about your book. So you're the author of Good Apple, which I have also read and loved. At Sherry's recommendation, we talked about Sherry Pusey being one of our mutual, wonderful people that we know. But your new one is, it was an ugly couch anyway. Mm-hmm. And other thoughts on moving forward. And I have to tell you, every time I have looked at this book when I've walked by it, I hear uh, the line from Christmas Vacation. Yeah. Which one? The one where he goes... It was an ugly tree anyway. After the oh, tree catches on fire. Goes, when, it, when it catches on fire when it, from the grandfather's cigar. Yes. Oh my gosh, I hadn't thought about that. Oh I, my I should goodness. Be mar- I should be marketing that. I should be making memes about me and the grandfather from Christmas Vacation. I did not even think of that. I think we're going to need it. I'll put my teenagers on it. They're really good uh, with the meme. There's <laughs> okay. apparently a meme generator. They told me that. And I was like, don't tell me that. That's like a, a lost day right there at least. Well, listen, this I have to say, and I haven't really told said this in any interviews, I don't think, but this was not the title that I wanted originally. I had in my head a different title that really did not make a whole lot of sense. It was just this phrase that I had used in sort of a conversation with a friend. And I thought it had this deeper life application meaning, and it felt really highbrow and good to me. And I thought it would, anyway, I wanted that as the title of the book. I'm not even going to tell you what it is because it will not make sense. That makes sense. And my editor also said it will not make sense to readers. This is not a great title. And my and, and you know, my agent, who is so supportive and so wonderful and also an amazing writer, and so I really trust her too, she was kind of playing along with me and sort of trying to, I think, help me make it work. And then after a while, she's like, Elizabeth, you're going to have to let it go. You're going to have to let it go. And they both said, we'd already, this, this title existed. It was the title of the first essay in the book. And okay. everyone, every single person on my team, except for me, was like, this is the title of the book. And I was like, ah, but maybe, but maybe not. And they were like, Elizabeth, this is the title of the book. And they were hundred percent right. Always listen to your editors and your agent and everybody else who's telling you what to do. And the, the cover and everything just turned out so punchy and fun. And so it absolutely went the way it was supposed to go. But just so you know, I had a different idea that was dumb in my head. Interesting. I love that story. My title has changed a few times, but it's funny how you can get attached to those pieces, right? And you think, yes. no, no, I, I'm telling you guys, this is going to be great. And they are so I, gentle. And they're like, no, it's not. I kept rewriting the intro. The introduction to my book was, or the prologue in the book was actually the last thing that I wrote. I wrote okay. all the chapters and then I ended, I was writing this. I think I wrote 12 or 13 different prologues. And I kept trying to, again, make this different phrase work and work it into the rest of the theme of the book, which was already written. And then I finally, you were talking a second ago about, um, you know, covers and and somebody else had used a cover that anyway, you were thinking about using. So I finally hit upon the beginning of this prologue. So it had been the first chapter, first paragraph of the first chapter of the book. And I was talking about dreams and children. And I love telling people my dreams and no one ever cares. And I say, it's kind of like your children. Like you always think that yours are more interesting than anybody else thinks that they are. And I had, I thought this is it. Like, this is a funny story. It's a funny commentary. I can work this into what I was going to say anyway. This is great. And then Jesse Klein, who is a wonderful, hilarious New York Times bestselling author yes. of, you know, You'll Grow Out of It was her first book. And then her second book was I'll Show Myself Out. It's And it's essays on motherhood. I mean, fantastic, wonderful writer, sells way more books than I do. She has a chapter in her new book, which came out right around the time I was writing this. And I was reading her book. I'd ordered it. I was reading it. And she has a whole chapter that starts with dreams are like children. Nobody wants to hear about your dreams or your children. And I just thought, well... Like, F me, you know, like, what am I going to do now? 
And so I did. I sent that to my editor and I sent what I'd written to my editor. And she was like, well, good luck. Back to the drawing board. So it ended up the way, just like the cover, it ended up the way it should have been in the first place. Everything worked out, but I did have to rewrite my intro again. Oh my gosh. After that many times, that feels like it tracks though, because that is the, I mean, I feel like that's the theme sometimes of book publishing is, oh, you thought you were done with that? Question mark? Like, no, you weren't. So the revisiting of things. And then also exactly what you're saying. I had never considered that other things coming out in this window can impact what's happening with your book, right? It feels like it's baked and it's going into production and that's what's happening. And then, nope, we got to change that. So I, I love those stories though, because I'm a bit of a control freak and no, I have no idea what that's like. I know. After reading your book, I was like, I don't think we're going to have anything to talk about. This is going to be really tough. <laughs> we don't have a lot in common. But I think that sort of just letting go, it's amazing how that lesson is one that needs to be hammered to me just constantly. So maybe we're in the right place for that exact reason. Yes, that's true. So tell me, okay, tell me about when you decided to write this book. Now, you wrote Good Apple. Did you know you wanted to write a second book at that point? Where Did you have that bug? I did. Okay. I did. I did. I also, I mean, just to get into the into the weeds of book publishing, I had a two-book contract. So I oh. knew I was writing a second book because they had told me I was writing a second book, <laughs> which was great because I, I was excited about that and had ideas and was kind of ready to go. You know, interestingly, though, when Good Apple came out, it was January of 2021. Mm-hmm. So we were still very much in the middle of the pandemic, especially in New York. It was winter and, you know, my kids were still in hybrid school. Nothing had gone back to normal. All the city was still kind of in semi-lockdown in a way. And so I started writing this book in sort of the late winter, early spring of 2021. And it was it was hard logistically because places that I used to go to write, childcare I used to have, full-time school for that matter, was not happening. So mm-hmm. I just didn't have, in, in terms of pure logistics, I did not have the schedule that I had when I was writing the first book. So that's what made it hard. Also, I was just in a really bad mood just mm. a terrible mood, as many of us were. And I really felt for a while like, oh, I've lost my sense of humor. Like life is just too hard and things yeah. are just too bad and everything is sad and nothing is ever going to be right or normal or good or happy or joyful again. And so I started writing this book and I had some stories percolating, some things that I that I had left out of the first book or had happened in the time since that I really wanted to write and I was writing essays. And I guess maybe around late summer, early fall, I turned in a chunk of stuff to my editor and my agent and said, here's where I am. Here's, you know, I don't, I try not to turn in things piecemeal. I mean, I try to turn in things when they're close to finished, but I said, here's about half of it. What do you think? And they both kind of said like, there's stuff, there's stuff here, Mm -hmm. but you don't sound like yourself. Like you sound, you sound Mm. mean in certain places. You sound, (laughs) and you know, we're all, we're all, evolved people. We're all multifaceted people. I can be mean. Everybody knows that if they've read my first book, I I can, it's not like we're not allowed to be in bad moods, but I do think I was writing from a really dark place at the beginning. Mm. And so it was a lot of just life is not fair. This all sucks. And so some of that is in the final book. Some of those pieces are in the final book. In fact, I do write a little bit about what it was like just being in New York during the pandemic and how I put a sort of a nice shine on it, but I was lying that it was really, Mm. really a lot. 
lot worse and a lot harder for me personally than I like to tell people when they asked. Um, And so there's a little bit of that that made into the final book. But then what this book follows there's kind of a, a thread that runs through this book of my family selling our apartment that we had been in and a, a building that we loved and a neighborhood community that we loved. We sold our apartment and we att- were attempting to buy a larger apartment in our same building that had really been abandoned. It was a, a hoarder situation. The man who had owned it was a doctor. He had passed away about 10 years ago. He had hoarded furniture, medical supplies, office supplies, all kinds of crazy stuff. His widow did not live there. She lived elsewhere in Manhattan, but she just had held on to it. I think it was overwhelming to her to think about emptying it and selling it. It was overwhelming to her to think about letting go of it because it was her husband's and she missed him, obviously. So we found out about this apartment in our building and proceeded to enter into a strange and sweet but strange sort of friendship relationship with this woman. Mm -hmm. And it took us over a year of talking to her and trying to find certain documents and government IDs and all kinds of things. It was a real up and down process of trying to buy this apartment. And so that story, once that all started, when I started writing the book, I knew this was a possibility. We at that point had seen the apartment, but I had no idea where it was going. So I started taking notes on my phone calls with her. Her name is Lois in the book. That's not her real name, but her name is Lois in the book. And I started taking notes on all my phone calls with her because just the stories that were coming out of just talking to her, we were talking every week, every two weeks and having these long conversations. And I just knew as a, as a writer who knows a good story, when she sees one, I just knew that these stories about her were, were gold. And so I started kind of taking notes and, and she knew I was a writer. She does. She didn't know that I was working on a book, but I started writing about her and I started writing about this apartment that we were trying to get. And in the sense, the book really took shape out of that. So those, I didn't know where it was going. I did not know we were, whether we were going to get the apartment, whether Lois was going to pass away in the middle of these you know, conversations. I had no idea where this was going. So I didn't know how it was going to end, but I started writing those stories. And then, you know, so much about that situation informed so many of the other essays that are interspersed throughout the book. Whereas, Lois here was holding on to this apartment that was so meaningful to her. I was holding on to a couch that was very meaningful for me. It was my dad's. And that's the title essay of the book is this big, ugly couch of my father's that I hung on to so um, just obsessively after he passed away. And I didn't want to get rid of it. But people, our real estate agent told us we really needed to before we sold our apartment. So those kinds of things, what do we hold on to? What do we give up as we move through life? What do we need to to move on from in terms of opinions or all of those things? So yes, the, the apartment story really was a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, in that time, it gave us as a family something to hang on to, something that was hopeful for the future, which we really needed at that time in New York City. It gave me something to hang on to and kind of sink my teeth into as a writer at that time. So it was a joy to write this book at that point, but it started out really dark. I appreciate you sharing that because I think that's really a good, just such a good note for anyone who's a writer or really anyone who's trying to create something. You, it, it pours out of you in more ways than you would think. I think, you know, it's easy to kind of fool ourselves and think, oh, I'm separating this, but a lot of what we create comes out of who we are. And that's not in itself good or bad, but to have people, you know, like your editor and agent and people that are safe for you to, to say, this doesn't sound like you, that we can help you with that piece. I think that's a real gift because it's, 
a lot. Yeah. And also, you know, we can also go into things thinking, especially when you're writing nonfiction and you write memoir. I mean, when you're writing about your own life, you can go into something. There were several chapters like this with Good Apple. I had that book mapped out, not only in my head, but really on paper, really Mm. detailed. I knew Mm. exactly where it was going before I ever started. And this was different. This one was moving and changing and morphing as I went along. And I do think also you can think you're going to start writing about one thing. And as you get going, it takes a different direction. And we all know that happens too. Something occurs to you Mm -hmm. as you're revisiting old memories, something that you'd forgotten about comes to the surface. You feel differently about something after revisiting it from a long time ago. So, you know, that's another thing about writing nonfiction is you think it's going in one way and then it takes, it takes a turn and you kind of have to follow along. Mm-hmm. I told someone recently, she said she wanted to write a memoir, but she was waiting for her mom to die sure. because she had been hurt by her, but didn't want to hurt her, which I totally understood. And people had told her, you know, well, why don't you start? And I said, I mean, you can write stuff down, but I did tell her, I think there's something to be said for, for waiting until it's the right time because it's, you're going to feel differently. And, mm. and in some ways, some things get better. I, I just think hopefully if we're growing more gracious as we grow, then hopefully we get more perspective, more wisdom on it. And so it becomes more universal as opposed to here's why I'm angry. <laughs> right. I wrote yes, it all down. Well, you know, my dad died the week before I was supposed to turn in the manuscript for Good Apple. Mm. And I called my editor and I said, hi. I'm going to need a couple more weeks, first of all, because I have to now go to a funeral. Second of all, I'm going to need to go back and revise. I mean, just putting him in past tense, like putting him in past tense in the book where he was in present tense before. I said, I'm going to, I'd like to write about his funeral and about his death. I feel like that's an important thing to do. And so I went back and it's funny. My, my mom has said about both of my books, she goes, well, you sure write about your dad a lot. And I said to her, you're right. I do. Now, part of it is because My dad and I temperamentally were very similar. My mom, Mm -hmm. I adore her. I love her. We have a wonderful relationship, but we're really different temperamentally. So there are things that I feel like I can write about my dad because I know how it feels and I know how he would have reacted. And I, I just think that I understand him and his motivations in a deeper way because I'm wired very similarly. Yes. But also, as I said to my mother, it's easier to write about him because he's dead. I do not have to worry. I... You, your, your memories kind of crystallize in a way. Yes. You tend to forget some of the unpleasant things and you tend to overemphasize the good memories. I think that's normal. Mm-hmm. And you also, it's just easier to write about him when I know he's not going to get upset, offended, want to fact check me, whatever it is. Um, so I said to her, I said, I'll write a lot more about you when you die too. So that's <laughs> the deal we have. That's the deal we have. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I I don't know if you've read Beth Moore's memoir. She has a memoir. She is like a a pretty well-known kind of Christian Bible teacher. I mean, I don't know if many people outside of kind of the the Christian publishing world really know who she is, but she she wrote a memoir recently. It's excellent. It came out a couple of months ago and she very clearly says she was waiting for certain people to die before she before she wrote it. Well, and that doesn't surprise me knowing a little bit of her history. I yeah. did a few Beth Moore Bible studies you know, years ago. I think anyone who grew up in that era did probably at some point in that sort of area of the culture. But um, yeah, wow. I will have to read that. So it was good. You will love it. Yeah, it's excellent. Especially if you have any familiarity with her, you will love it. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll put that on my list and I have nothing else going on. I just sit (laughs) around all day wondering what to do. So this is perfect. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. I loved when you were talking about your dad just now, I loved the story of you sitting on the counter smelling cologne and saying one smelled like a gin and tonic. Yes. You should say that I was probably like six years old (laughs) at the time. So he took me to Goldsmith's, which is, was the sort of family owned down department store in Memphis, Tennessee, where I grew up. And my dad was really into clothes. He had a hairdryer that he really loved. He liked his hair a certain way. He, you know, he, was very particular about certain colognes and what he wore. And so he did. He took me to the sort of men's cologne counter at Goldsmiths and he sort of propped me up because I was little, I was tiny. So he propped me up and sat me up on the sales counter and he was spritzing different ones. And I said, yeah, that one smells like a gin and tonic. (laughs) And I thought the sales person was going to just pass out right there because I was way too young to know what a gin and tonic smelled like. But you know, I mean, yeah. And and now now a gin and tonic is probably my favorite, especially this time of year when it's warm outside. It's my favorite drink. So the apple does not fall far. That is true, and I love a good gin and tonic. It, I mean, <laughs> and plus the smell. But yes, you're. It clearly I'm sure. just had a citrusy smell, but that was what came out Correct. of my mouth. Yeah, the, the mouths of babes. Yes, totally. that's what came out. All of Manhattan. Well, we do this, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That was, but I love the way that you talk about 
the people in your life in this book. And I really think you have, I mean, I haven't said it yet. I love your writing. And I really appreciate your, you have a really good perspective on yourself and on kind of the humor. And I think we're all so unreasonable at heart. And so having sort of a an honesty about that, right? Like, hey, I know I'm being difficult and that's just what you're going to get sometimes. I really like that about your writing. It's so honest. Oh, thank you. I love that you say we're all unreasonable. Oh God, that is so good. Because, you know, like what's reasonable? Like what's reasonable to me is not reasonable to you. It's not reasonable to my husband or my sister or whoever it is. So I just, yeah, we are. To someone we are unreasonable. I love that. Um, you better hurry up and write that down, Julie, because I'm going to use it. Let me get a pen. Um, you need, yes, you can yes. copyright. Trademark Perfect. Julie. Yes. But um, I do, there is a chapter in this book towards the end that's called The Chapter of Questionable Opinions. And it, we struggled with this one. We struggled with this one, my editor and sort of, and the copy editor. I mean, the copy editor was Did involved you? too at this point. We were all, okay. well, I, there were some, it is really just a sort of mashup of a few different things that I think I was sort of scared to say out loud, but mm. really are opinions that I have. They're the opinions that I talk about in the car on a car trip with my husband. But I really, when I bring them up at a dinner party, people look at me like I'm crazy. And so like, for example, I, I get into a, a whole thing about open kitchens. Like I don't want an open kitchen. I don't like open kitchens. I think kitchen islands are terrible. And I, and again, I understand that that is unreasonable to some people. That is absolute madness. The idea that I wouldn't want a beautiful kitchen island with stools where my children could sit and talk to me while I cook. My children sitting and talking to me while I cook is my worst nightmare. It just is. I would like to burrow into a cave underground to cook dinner and come out mm-hmm. when it's ready and have nobody talk to me. So, um, yes, these are the things and there, and you know, I talk a little bit, it gets a little bit more serious. The, the kitchen Island is the lightest part of that chapter. Um, I talk a little bit about therapy. I talk a little bit about just having children in general, how I really think I could have been very happy having never had children. I I love my kids. I didn't say, I think people hear that and they think, oh my gosh, you regret having your kids. I don't regret having my kids. I could just see a sliding doors moment where both lives could have been okay. I mean, both lives are, I love this life. And I also think I could have loved this life if it hadn't happened for me. Mm -hmm. So um, these are things that, yes, you're right. Some people would not say out loud. I um, am just as a writer, so apt to put my foot in my mouth and it sometimes does get me in trouble, but I will say, number one, I am fun at a dinner party. Invite me over. I will start a conversation and I will get people talking. But number two, you know, I do think that a lot of us have these thoughts or opinions or, or we think I'm the only one. I'm Mm -hmm. the only one who doesn't want a kitchen island. And here's Elizabeth Passarella telling me it's okay to not want a kitchen island. So I just love I love being the writer that can bring that out of people or make them feel a little bit less crazy or less unreasonable in their own lives that they have a pal out there who thinks the same way we do because we are all so different and we are also entitled to all of our opinions and all of our desires. But, you know, we don't, I think there are certain ones we don't talk about so much. You're exactly right. The Kitchen Island cracked me up because I'm a talker, my children are talkers, and my husband is a hostage. So he, (laughs) I think he wants a kitchen with no one in it all the time. And we have a small home, you know, not New York size challenges, but we're in California, which is also its own real estate disaster. And (laughs) so, yeah, it is, it's freeing though. And I loved the part about that you could have been happy without kids because I, that is something I've thought so much more about in the past 
years. And there's such a nuanced, really, I think, lovely conversation to be had there about the way that we can be transformed by others, whether they're our children or whether they're people in our life. But there aren't a lot of places where we see that talked about. So I really appreciated that talk or that that chapter in the book because I think that being honest about that really does give liberty to other people to not only speak it, but maybe even think honestly about it. Because for some people it's a, nope, I can't think or believe that. I also, the therapy cracked me up. I'll do that later. Well, even if you, even if there is, and and I know it's tricky to bring up because there's so many people who want to be a parent and they can't be. And so it's hard to just say that like, yeah, I have these three kids, they can take them or leave them. And of course (laughs) that's not what I'm saying. No, But, you know, I think that also there are a lot of parents out there who are in the deepest just weeds with their kids and it is hard and their marriage is suffering and their friendships are suffering and it is so hard. Yep. And I just want to say, yeah, it is hard. It's so hard. It it is not magical all the time. It Mm -mm. is not my life's calling and it's so wonderful and all the time. It's not, I, I don't feel like that very often. I mean, motherhood does not come super naturally to me. And I will say in that chapter too, I talk about, again, my dad, because I talk about my dead dad a lot. But I say in that part of that chapter, my dad did not want to get married and he did not want to have children. He was like having a great time being a bachelor. And then he met my mom and he fell really hard in love with my mom. And so anyway, they got married, but it took a long time. They dated for a long time before they got married. And then he kind of was very ambivalent, didn't want kids, wasn't sure. And so the story of them getting pregnant, my mom getting pregnant with my sister is I think not safe for work, maybe not Mm. safe for, that's my mom's story to tell how that happened. Understood. But she will say, once your sister was born, it was like your father was the only man in the hospital who had ever had a baby. He was just the most enthusiastic, (laughs) guess what, you know. And I say, we joke all the time in my family. It was like a, it was a, 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 refrain on loop all the time. Oh, your dad didn't want kids. Oh, your dad didn't want kids. It never made me feel anything less than, than completely loved and adored by my dad. It was a running joke and he would always follow it up with like, Oh boy, am I not the luckiest man alive? So I just think that you can hold both in all circumstances. Every happy incident in your life has a little bit of a sadness to it. And every sadness in your life has a little bit of joy in it. Like there are no hundred percent on either side. So I just think every blessing has a little bit of, you know, this is hard. And every hard, hard season is going to have some light at the end of the tunnel. So yeah, I just, I just think that all, all things have two sides. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful way to think about it and so important to be able to hold that space for those sorts of ideas and conversations. One question for you. You talk often about your faith, which I love. What is your... It's a part of you, and you're writing about yourself, obviously, so I can see how that would be natural. What do you hope for people who may not share your beliefs or people who do share your beliefs but maybe don't don't speak about them or don't write about it what what is the reason or what's what's what you want to give people by sharing that side of you you know there's there's a little less jesus i think in this book than there probably was in the first book okay i felt a lot I don't know. The first book, just every chapter seemed to kind of wrap up in a little bit of like a bow, a little, a little kind of moment or a lesson or something I learned. And this book, I just let myself be a little bit more free. Mm -hmm. So if there was a situation I I was writing about, and obviously every, 
anybody who is a person of faith, no matter what your faith is, you're always looking at your challenges, your sufferings, your joys through that lens. So if there was a place for it and it felt like I, it was something I wanted to talk about, I did. And if there wasn't, I didn't. So I felt really free in that in this book. Listen, there are wonderful books out there for Christian people who want to be inspired or instructed or they want advice on their life. This is not that book. You guys, I am not writing, I'm not writing any kind of inspirational, devotional, Bible study, self-help anything. But at the same time, I think there is a little bit of a lack in our world in terms of books for books that you know, the person writing it might be a Christian and that might be something that informs their decisions in some way or another, but that they're not full on just like writing a, a sort of inspirational life-changing devotional. So I just want to write about my life, my everyday life. As I say all the time, I don't have a spectacular life. I have a really pretty boring life. I have a life just like most of you. I've been through small disappointments and griefs. I've been through kind of the everyday things of parenting and marriage and jobs and friendships. However, I do think, and this was the, getting back to your question, this is what I think I would want people to know, especially if they don't share my faith, Mm -hmm. is the reason I think that I can be super honest and pretty vulnerable and probably say some things that might make me sound a little weird or have opinions that might not resonate with everyone is because I do feel a lot of freedom in what is actually important in my life, that my faith kind of speaks to who I am. Mm -hmm. And then I can be a little bit of a clown underneath that. You know, that it's not, if someone doesn't agree with me about an opinion about something or, you know, someone says something unkind about my, uh, you know, sharing a certain aspect of my, it just doesn't devastate me. It really doesn't. It gives me so much more freedom in my writing. And I would hope that when people say, oh, I just loved how you shared that. Well, the reason I can share that is because I know who I am deep in my gut spiritually. So Mm -hmm. I can, I can share the things that might be, I can share the warts a little bit more. I can share the things that might be a little bit more embarrassing, or I can say that the ways that I've completely screwed up in terms of raising my children. And there are so many ways, so many ways, Julie. So I think I can be more honest about that because I do have this deep rooted sort of firm foundation of who I am underneath it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, listen, I live in New York City. I mean, most of my friends are not, I grew up in the Bible Belt, but I live in New York City now. So many, many of my friends absolutely do not share my faith. And I love getting a nice barometer from them of, of, you know, what they like and what they don't like and questions that they have, but it opens up so many great questions. And I think, um, I have tons of Jewish friends in New York and also my dad was Jewish growing up. That's something that I talk a lot about in the first book, but Mm -hmm. um, my dad was Jewish. And so, you know, I do think that draws some people in my New Yorkness, my Jewish dad will kind of draw some people in that might not otherwise have picked up my books, but. Well, I, I really, I know I said it, but I love your books. I love your writing. I love the way that you share exactly that because I do think your books have a sense of place, not only in their setting, but your place in yourself. Like you feel at home in yourself, in your books, and to watch it and read about it is a real joy. So I'm so glad you have another book out and I'm so glad we got to talk today. I did. I am too. Thank you so much, Julie. This was fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. 
Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.